Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, a voyage of discovery for curious foodies everywhere. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be your pilot today, along with our foodie navigator, James Winter. Hello. And on today's show, we are once again going to be exploring some of the most amazing food experiences around the world with a very special guest, chef and food blogger extraordinaire, Dennis Litley, delving into some of the most remarkable places and things to eat around the world. So join us on a journey to the centre of extraordinary dining experiences. Hello James, how are you sir? I'm good, how are you Jay? I'm very good, we're delving into the world of food blogging today, that's mm. interesting, we haven't yeah. been there before. No, well absolutely, I mean it's, it's we, we talk about television an awful lot don't we on this on this podcast, we kind of, because that's our, but, but that feels very kind of Luddite and mechanical now people vlog and blog and and we don't need cameras and studios and things you can just get online and start communicating and that's you know it's it's always brilliant to discover people that have have have, have made their way in that path and had some success we're always keen to learn and it's a difficult you know choppy water to get through so you know it's it's very exciting to learn something new indeed well let's welcome our guest straight in so we can delve into it with him because he's coming all the way from america well, he's not come over from america he's transmitting from america to us uh dennis Litley runs one of the most successful food blogs in the world with over 1 million followers on socials and almost 10 million views annually he shares cooking tips on easy to make restaurant style dishes at a fraction of the cost and he has a passion for exploring new dining experiences all around the world we are delighted to welcome to journey to the center of food chef dennis hello dennis how are you doing I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on today. I, I, I feel very special to be transmitting across the pond. <laughs> yes, you are very welcome. Did you see any of the uh, is of the Jubilee? Were you there with the tea party? I did see some of the Jubilee. We watched actually. We watched Andrea Bocelli sing uh, oh. for the Queen. That was good, wasn't it? That was oh, very good. My very word. Good. Poor Duran Duran having to follow that. I was like, oh dear. <laughs> I'm not sure why you can come after that. It was pretty uh, It was pretty special. We didn't, we had a We had a street party in London. So all the, when our street got shut down and everyone brought out, you know, tea and cakes and scones and all the right things, which was, which was very nice actually, especially when the traffic stops and everyone goes back to kind of, 1940s almost. It's uh, it was it was delightful. Uh, James, did you have any tea and scones? What for the Jubilee? Yeah. I think I probably did. It was a bit rainy to when, on the day we had our street party. So in classic British uh, English style, we just carried on. <laughs> of course, yeah. Just sit there in the sat in the rain, having a scone, <laughs> in, waving an English sort of Union Jack flag, and wearing a kind of comedy hat. That's, that was it. Was Britain? I mean, it was with, with about three thousand people doing the same thing, all thinking. Should we just go home and watch it on the TV? <laughs> was pretty much for, for five, but it was good. It's always good fun, you know. Uh, Dennis, D- Dennis, you're New Jersey, aren't you? Is that right? Yes, I am. I'm in New Jersey currently. So, what would be in terms of New Jersey? Do you have any experiences there um, that you get? Do you ever get street parties or any kind of festivals or any kind of things which are sort of regular foodie foodie thing we have to do? Oh, absolutely, all over the U.S. You know, foodie. Foodies are big, and everybody loves street parties. And you know, food trucks have made it big around here, and a lot of times they center around that. But we actually just missed the Bay Festival, which was a big seafood festival here because we're we're on the East Coast and we're very close to the ocean. And uh, next week there's a festival in the park for art, and we we have all kinds of different things here. And on in Ocean City, which is just across the bridge, we have a block party that started out 
oh, years ago was maybe 10 blocks, and now it's probably up to about 30. It's just wow. wow. Oh, it's it's. I mean, you'll you'll get tired out. They just pretty much close the the main street down, and there's food of every sort, art of every sort. There's music, and it's just it's a really nice experience. You know, the the last. This is the first year it really came back because with COVID, we were kind of on a lockdown with a lot of things, people coming out. So, uh, yeah, it was great. We missed that, too. We were, we were a little late. That was a couple weeks before we came up. So uh, next year, we're planning on being up here a little longer. We're just going to winter in Florida. <laughs> That's the way. That's living the dream. Now, yeah. tell, us, tell us about the world of food blogging. How did you get into that? And what does that mean on a daily basis for you? Mm. Uh, well, I got into it kind of happen chance. You know, I, I started out, my last job I had after working in restaurants all my life was at a girl's high school, an all girls high school. And I didn't know what to feed the kids and uh, the food was terrible there. So I, I, moved, <laughs> I moved the cook out, you know, saying, oh, those people are making me cut budgets, my bosses, and I have to start cooking again. Well, truthfully, was I just couldn't take it anymore. You know, <laughs> I did, and I was just twiddling my thumbs in the office anyway. So I started cooking and started. I fed them what I'd fed adults all my life. So I didn't know any better. So I was feeding them like restaurant type food, you know. And we were doing all kinds of cool things on the salad bar, and and they thought they had died and gone to heaven. I can imagine. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. And uh, about three years into it, we were having functions all the time. Of course, now that the food had improved greatly, they wanted to have more functions, and. <laughs> I'm strapped for help. You know, I had four ladies in the kitchen that worked for me. That was it. And they couldn't all work nights. So I'm like, I got to hire temps and bribe people. And finally, I said, let me train my own help. So the following year, I started a culinary program at the school with the intent of training, you know, teaching them. It's a, it's a win-win. I'm teaching these girls how to cook, how to be able to, 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 you know, I wasn't trying to train little chefs. I was trying to make them understand my favorite saying, Food is not rocket science. You know, this, this is, and these were brilliant girls. So I mean, you know, this isn't like you're applying that. It's just, it's easy. Let's teach you how to learn how to adapt recipes, how to make things for your friends and family, so you don't have to go out to eat all the time, or microwave things. You know, one of my tagline on my first blog was Yes, Virginia, there is more to life than takeout in the microwave. So, <laughs> but yeah, but. I, but you obviously had been a chef for, for many years before this point, didn't you? I mean, you, you oh god, yeah. You you could cook. I mean, you knew oh. how to cook. You knew how to to prep and run a kitchen enough. Oh, and yeah. So you know, they they didn't know what uh, perhaps was was coming when you stepped in there. And obviously, they've absolutely benefited from your your knowledge and skill. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't going to take the job. You know, my boss had moved. I went out for my second carpal tunnel surgery, which was why I wasn't supposed to do this anymore. And when I called him, he says, oh, yeah, I'm in the school system. I have a job for you. And he says, go out. And I went and I drove out. I'll go out just because, you know, I respect this guy and I'll do it. And I, I looked at the school. And I'm going, oh, no, I'm not ready for this. This is out to pasture. The place is old and antiquated. And the principal goes, and you work 165 days a year. And I went, when would you like me to start? <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. So you just started putting your thoughts out there, and people. And what, what was it like? People just responded. Was that a great feeling when you started getting that dialogue with people listening oh, and reading? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I started the blog so my students would have some place to go for recipes and to inter interact with me, and they didn't want any part of it. They wanted to just come to me directly. But then 
other students and teachers in the school started you know looking at the recipes and then i joined a, a, a group of bloggers that was worldwide called food buzz and that's i think when i actually became a blogger because i was seeing recipes all over the world and i was like i was getting really excited because i'm seeing all these new things and i got a perfect audience to try them out on. These girls would eat anything I made. You know, they, they were like, they were like, oh my god! I'm, I mean, I'm fried calamari, and they were like, oh my god! You know, it was like anything I could make. Experimenting on children. I think that's a, should be, I think it's a fantastic way of doing it because you know yeah. they're perfect for it. They'll eat anything. Oh yeah. And they'll oh, tell yeah. you if it's rubbish as well. They won't be polite either, will they? Oh no, no. And actually, when girls are all alone, they eat as well as boys do. You put boys in the mix, and then they're they're dainty and polite. But when, <laughs> when it's just them, they're you know they were unbuckling one button on their skirt, going, "Damn, damn you, Dennis! I love and I love you." <laughs> <laughs> My kids came home yesterday. They hate their school lunches. My boy said yesterday, "Oh, we had chips for lunch, and they had sweat on them." And he was just oh. literally like just sweaty chips. And I think it's just oh. a brilliant description of how bad these are. And you have to go some to murder a chip. It yeah. was just so- like, oh my goodness. So we talk quite a bit about the sort of um, the education around food and cooking, certainly from our perspective in, mm-hmm. in British schools. I mean, how much are children in, in American schools taught the basics of, of, of cooking? Absolutely nothing. Really? Absolutely. Oh, wow. uh, you, know, you know, there was a day you know, when I went to high school, the girls had a home economics and part of the home economics class was teaching them some basics of cooking. You know, it was also everything else involved sewing and, and I guess probably some kind of bookkeeping or knowing how to run a household to an extent. But, you know, then all of a sudden it wasn't fashionable to teach women housekeeping skills or housewife skills. Mm. And so they threw the baby out with the bathwater. And instead of just making it a class for all students, because it's a basic skill that boys as well as girls should learn how to fend for themselves, how to iron a shirt, how to cook something, you know, how to how to clean something. I mean, everybody needs these basic skills, and we kind of forgot them. Mm. So at this point, you know, we're and, and families aren't eating together anymore. So you don't have grandma in the kitchen showing you how to make her famous stew, uh, or you know, mom isn't in there passing down these thoughts to you. So so you're missing the whole the whole idea of learning how to how to make food for yourself how to sustain yourself and and that it's not difficult and it's about creating foods that you like to eat that's the most important part Mm. and the joy of it and the and and as we've said on this blog before there's so many lessons to learn from it far beyond just the plate like you said there's a social aspect there's a creative aspect there's that there's a discovery Mm. aspect there's chemistry physics it's it's the most remarkable area that is neglected in school because it opens the doors to everything else really and it's we we're, we're, look there's similar struggles over here and james has obviously been involved in trying to you know getting these things back into schools with his work with the fat duck and it's uh, we feel it's still a it's a problem over here as well it's it's slowly coming there isn't it james i mean there's a certainly interest well it's always resistance it's a very expensive project for any government to yeah. take on and it's 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 sometimes i mean uh, the system's slightly different in america and britain but our government rotates pretty much every four or five years maybe longer maybe not it depends so to make a real change now we're going to have to see a sustained consistent support from from a government body to do it but yeah. i was as you were talking i was wondering obviously teaching is it's I think a really fundamentally important skill for a chef to be able to do so and, and did you find that you you had this skill to be able to engage and teach people these things or was it something you had to learn as you you engage with them 
Well, I, I think it was something I had, but you know, I started out coaching sports at a very young age. Actually, when I was 13, I started helping coach mini sports. And so I think I knew how to relate to kids more. So I had already taught a lot. I taught karate. So I, I think I just had to learn that you couldn't yell at them. Is what was the because <laughs> as, as times change, you can't yell at them and make them do exercises. <laughs> so, um, but no, I think it, it kind of came once once I get over the fact of um, sharing recipes because in the early stages I was that no soup for you rest, you know chef, uh, but then I said no I have to teach him exactly how to do it and that was the thing with my block now but before I say anything else to getting back to school schools are starting to bring culinary programs in they don't have the they're not teaching everybody but they are offering a lot of opportunities because food service is a big industry mm -hmm. so they're running these programs to teach kids you know to get jobs too so that that is one aspect that is improving a little bit mm -hmm. but the overall is still suffering and again like you said politics uh, we're lucky to get money to help feed the kids you know uh, that are in schools let alone money to help train them you know on one aspect if you did institute some kind of a, a training program it would almost pay for itself because they would be doing some of the work uh, involved mm. in it but uh yeah it's just it's just, it's a mess so have you found them at other schools have, have seen what you're doing and have, have wanted your help have you felt the kind of the demand for this you know grow Actually, they took the program that I started. I, I became sort of a mini celebrity within a very large interna international company. Uh, no one had had social media of any extent before, so they had to do a social media uh, program set up, uh, policies you know, that, that I had to sign off on because all of a sudden... I had all these followers all over the world, and, and they're afraid I'm going to get into some Absolutely. dark, and, you know, because I, I couldn't be trusted anyway, so I didn't blame them. Um, but then they took the program, and they started to institute it in other schools, and they started to pass it along, and we had a lot of universities as well, and those elementary. So it did gain some popularity, and every now and then I will have someone reach out to me and ask, you know, how I did this, what I did. Um, more, more days, it's about blogging. You know, this mm. is... Uh, something that I learned from the ground up while I was at the school I started learning it and that also thrust me into a little bit of limelight too so you know sometimes that some days they really didn't know what to do with me when you got to and and, and it's led to you know wonderful things and you've got to travel the world and have a look oh, around yeah. and do all manner of amazing things and that's that's kind of the theme of this episode so we've done one of these episodes before and just so our listeners know, we, we call it extraordinary places to eat, but it's extraordinary places to eat that we've all been. And this is not about us. We've been very lucky, all of us, to go and eat in some fancy places, but it's not about showing off. It's not about saying places, the most exotic places we've been to. What we're trying to do here is pick out an experience that we've had that has changed us or made us think in a different way about food. And that by sharing that here with our listeners, where we have many chefs and foodies, it might spark a thought in their mind as well, or just through the you know the joy of storytelling, they might enjoy it because I think that you know we talk about the excitement and passion of eating together and having those experiences, but there's something fantastic about sharing those with people afterwards. So what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about some of those experiences. We're going to share a couple each, and Chef Dennis, we're going to start with you. Take us to a food experience, an adventure, a, a journey, something interesting you've had with food. Share us the story. Well, it was basically one whole day. 
I had got sent over to Ireland, uh, and they had said, oh, Dennis, we want to help you to help us to spell the myth the Irish don't know how to eat. <laughs> and, at, and at first I'm going, oh, God, please, give me, give me something easier. Uh, but I got there, and the food was freaking amazing. From, <laughs> from I mean, from what, and again, in the States, what we call farm to table, they were just calling dinner. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's the experience. So yeah. I, went yeah. to Hal, I went to Houth. And uh, I went to a little tavern there. Uh, I think it was the Abbey Tavern. And he was supposed to give us a little taste. Well, this man, if this was a little taste, I, I don't know what a big taste would have been. Because he <laughs> he fed us some of the most exquisite food for, for a tavern that had like 30 beers on tap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was blown away. And then we went to Houth Castle for a cookery class. And oh, wow. It was like, and it was like, wow. I mean, this was a day that really, and even my wife, who doesn't like to cook that much, got involved in it, and she was making things. And What uh, kind of we, things were you making and trying? Oh, well, we actually, we, we cooked some fish, and that was the one thing. They let me clean and cut the fish, and, and they were doing, I was trying not to, I was letting them get, do whatever they could. She was cooking lobster. She actually had the lobsters. So she was, I mean, they pulled out, again, it was one of these, pull out all the stops for this cookery class and, and and you know and the uh, owner of the castle came over and you know you could see he really didn't want to be there but this was something he had to do to help pay for everything having a with castle own, <laughs> with having a <laughs> castle you know it's, it's not cheap um but uh you know it was just like wow and it was just i had such a good time on that mm-hmm. trip we talk about it all the time but that was one of the most unique days and experience i had from start to finish of food and it was and just amazing. I mean, was this something that came about as a result of the, the blogging then? Was that, did they reach out yes. to you? Is that, right. So look, so yes. for people who are starting their blog or yeah. thinking about blogging, obviously, you know, it's fun to blog and there's, there's lots of, you know, but actually it can become your oh, life. Yeah. It can become a career and a, and a, and a business and all on its own, I guess, you know, to take sure. you to these incredible food destinations. Well, the, you know, there's again with each facet or type of blogging you do, there's always conferences. And mm. I was in, I was in, um, uh, I was at a conference in Killarney for it was for an oh, international yeah. uh, group. And when we came over, that's when the Irish Tourism Board reached out to me and said, "We want, we would like your help in this. We want to send you on a trip. Uh, we're going to take send you to Dublin and do this, and we're going to go around here." And it was, it was just. A really great experience mm. now travel bloggers unless you're way 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 up at the top you're not gonna make a lot of money or make any money from it but they're gonna pay for everything and they're gonna treat you like royalty and they're I mean you're gonna see things and taste things and meet people that you would have never met before and the experiences you know and then we take it back to our blogs and that's where we monetize it and and uh, we have ads on our blogs and that's how we make money Food is a little different. People actually pay me to create recipes for food. Food is a yeah. higher priced item. So food was always paying the bills and travel was just for lots of fun. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the experiences and, you share, like you say, those Irish uh, pubs. I've always found in the Irish pubs, the food is always seems to be exactly right for the environment uh, and the weather and the mood yeah. you're in. It just, it's, it's, it's warming, it's wholesome, it makes yeah. you feel yeah. like you just want to stay in the in the room, which is kind of the point yeah. of it, right? That is exactly and, the point. 
And McGuinness is the best, Rabbi. Now. So let's, let's be honest. I mean, my I went oh. to Killarney once and I spent the day drinking wonderful Guinness. So much so that I'm sure, in my memory, at some point an elephant walked past the restaurant, which... I, I can't believe it, but I've now double-checked this with other people. And yes, apparently there was a parade involving an elephant went past the pub a day. It wasn't just a drunken hallucination. And, and, I, and, and I've parked the whole thing in that that can only happen in Killarney. That's my, I, my, my, one of my... I saw the same elephant, I do believe. <laughs> you did not. Yeah. He was... I, I do remember an elephant walking down the street. I, I didn't pay much mind to it, but I did see an elephant. I think if you drink um, past I, a certain threshold, we all happens. see elephants in Kalani. <laughs> streets of Kalani. Yeah. Now, they actually had me... The, the pub... I had made friends online with one of the pub owners, and he was just, like, so nice to me, but he actually taught me how to pour a proper pint. Oh, you know, had me had me behind the bar, and, yeah. pour, and we each... We each got to pour one and I have a picture of me pouring it and drinking it. Um, but but actually you have to let it sit for a little while before you're allowed to drink it. I remember reaching for one in the States one time. Well, actually I got a black and tan and I was reaching for it and the and the barkeep slapped me on the Oh nose yeah. Oh yeah. They get really it, militant it, about it, don't they? It hadn't settled yet. Absolutely. <laughs> you naughty, naughty boy. Stop. Especially in our high speed world now, the idea of waiting for two minutes. Come on. I'm not going to wait. Can I just have a bit of it? It's, uh, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's lovely, those kind of experiences so, and routines. So that was one of the best days I've had food wise. Another one was I got to go on a gastronomic tour of, uh, of um, markets when I was in Madrid. Oh, no, that yeah, was I did, amazing. I did one in Barcelona as well, but in Madrid, and they took us to all these different places to eat different things. And again, the people in Madrid were the ones that sent me out, and they hired someone to, to show me around and feed me. And the man was so excited because at one stop we had, he had got the okay to buy barnacles for me to try. Oh, really? Oh, in, great. Oh, uh, the, the goose barnacle, you mean? The, uh, hey. Do you mean the Pathebes ones, the big? They were mean? they were good size. Yeah, it was it was like a sea snail basically when I tasted oh, it. Right, I, yeah. I, I I mean that's what I was thinking of. But he because they're very expensive and he explained the process of of getting them. You know the water goes out. You run and scrape the barnacles before the water comes back in. You that's get the out goose of the water. Barnacles. It's, it's really dangerous. Barnacle. Really dangerous yeah. getting them, isn't yeah. it? People die trying to get these flipping yeah. things. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think our trips might double over here because I when when Jay said, "What have you got?" I was I, my immediate thought when one of my most memorable food experiences. It's actually in a different part of Spain, but in Bilbao, which is in the northern part of Spain, mm -hmm. is going on a tapas crawl with a with a chef friend oh. of mine, a wonderful chef called Jose Pizarro, who's got a number of restaurants here in London, but he. He he already knew half the. I mean, this is the beauty when you go to a son who knows the area. He'd already tapped up, you know, a few of the restaurants. He knew which tapas we had yeah. to have in each place, and and we were looking for the goose barnacle. These barnacles that, that they they look mm -hmm. like the neck of a goose, you see, and, okay. and they come, and uh, and you have to twist them out, and yes, and, and they have a knuckle on the end. Yes, and you just eat. Yeah, so we have the same thing, and they are absolutely an incredible delicate. I mean, I, I, we just sat all night eating them, and I, you, you, yeah. you don't come across them very often. There's one or two places in London that if you seek yeah. out the right time, you can find them, but they are just so unique to Spain, but they just yeah. stick in my mind as a, as a real food experience. Yeah, I remember when you said twist, because then all of a sudden it came back to me. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, that's exactly what I had to do, but, you know, that was on the same tour. I had to crawl under this very small opening under a bar to get to another room that was how we got back there and i'm like really 
<laughs> oh, right, so it's like a forbidden thing almost. They're so rare and hard yeah. to get that you have to oh. really go and work oh. for it. Uh, do you think? Do you think the, 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 we often talk about the sort of multi-sensory aspects of food? But do you think, in both your experiences of those goose barnacles, the the intensity of the food experience is heightened because you know the struggle to get them? Do you think oh, yes. they're so oh, rare and difficult to get, you've appreciated it more? Oh, th- that and also the extreme happiness this person had and excitement about uh, getting me to try them. I mean, this had, this is like it made his day. It really did. That he was getting, <laughs> he was able to let me try these. So, you know, and, and he also took, I mean, but he took me into a restaurant where they were serving baby pig heads and, and I was allowed to go back into the kitchen and see this oven that must have been there since the beginning of time. <laughs> and all these all these little baby pig heads lined up around the wall. So that was like a really unique day as well with all the different things involved. But yeah, it's part of we were bonding over food. You know, we were we were sharing an excitement over food. My wife will laugh because a lot of times a chef will come out and talk to me while we're eating or before we're eating. And whatever he's serving me is the best thing I've ever had <laughs> at the time because of all the interactions and the bonding and the joy and the love I can see that's going into this. And we're having like the best time in the world. So of course it's the best food I've ever eaten. But that mindful and, eating, that ability to be in that moment is incredible. And it heightens one of the experiences I, I was going to share was, you know, you think about all the amazing volume and variety of different drinks you've had in your life. But in my mind, there's like one or two that stand out. And there was one experience in particular. I must have, I don't know how old I was, probably about 13 or 14. I was at a particularly sort of whingy age. Um, And my parents took us off to a a trip to France. And I got poorly on the trip and probably a bit of heat stroke and probably sunburn because suntan lotion wasn't a thing back then. Um, And I was particularly miserable on this trip. And then my parents, to add to my misery, decided to take us out for a bike ride through sort of baking hot middle of the day in France because obviously we're British that's what we do um and I was feeling miserable and very tired and very unwell and I was at the back of this sort of chain of my parents cycling whinging my way through through south of France and I remember we came we finally crested this hill and I was I was basically done and we came down into this dusty little village and there must have been what three houses and one little French cafe bar and if you spend any time in France, you know that nothing is ever open at any point you particularly need it. Certainly not in the middle of the day when you're really hot. But for whatever reason, the stars aligned and this little dusty cafe was open. And we staggered in there and I was so hot and so sweaty and so angry. And I sat down at this little um, wooden table, which in my mind now has become something like out of almost one of those old paintings. It was so sort of idyllic. And I got given a bottle of Orangina. And if you recognise the look of that bottle in your mind, it's that sort of thin neck and that big fat bottom. Mm. And you you talk about the intensity of the experience and paying attention to it. In my mind now, I can still see the little beads of sort of uh, condensation on the outside of that bottle rolling down the outside of it. And I poured and drank this thing. And I must have had Orangina before, and I've had it many times since. But that particular moment in time was like that moment in Ice Cold and Alex, when they've been across the desert and they have the sip of the Heineken. That I can still feel the taste of that because, and, and, and often like these food experiences, I've always been chasing that taste since. I'm always trying Orangina's to see if it can ever take me back to that moment. But as we've discussed many times, unless it also, unless I also have the bike ride, the illness, the misery, the teenage angst, Which and the I dusty mean, French yes. restaurant, it will never get me there. 
But in terms of the intensity of that experience, that bottle of Orangina in that place in France was one of the most intense food experiences or drink experiences I've ever had, which is incredible, isn't it? When you, you when you're sort of a time and a place heightens an yep. ingredient, which yep. if you had somewhere else would be and it was exotic. Orangina was an exotic thing. I mean, for us, you know, abroad as Brits in France, you see, Dennis, you know, things like Orangina and certain flavours of chewing gum and certain like things like pears, those are the flip top sweet mm-hmm. dispensers. We didn't have those things. You know, they were often the highlight of a really rather sort of average holiday with the family just in a beach <laughs> resort somewhere. You would go looking for these these, these treasures oh. of gold that you would find, which, which form those memories. And, and now, obviously, we can go to the local corner shop and buy orangina in, in mm-hmm. lots of forms these things have merged the international globalization of, of things but you know when you're a, when you're a little kid those things are what makes the oh, holiday yeah. you know those funny shaped lollies that were like shaped like upside down <laughs> feet or stuff that, you know we just never seen before you know you know uh, was james was, was there one for you do you remember a childhood moment when a particular piece of food really like struck you and you're like wow that was i never experienced this before oddly now as you were talking though the only image i had of of, of that kind of period of my life apart from thinking about orangina and and different things was was one particular holiday in spade this is not particularly a food changing my life experience but i remember i wanted an ice lolly from a shop across this road my parents had hired a smallish house in the middle of an orange grove but actually was on the side of a very large spanish motorway as my holidays tended to be because i imagine it was cheap (laughs) But so to get to the, the sweet the sort of resort part, I had to cross this road and I bought my lolly and I could still, as you were talking, all I could see is my, I, I, I started to go back across the road and I had like a, a, an ice cream, my lolly in one hand and like a flip flop stuff, just other stuff in my hands and I kept dropping one or, or the other and I kept almost dropping my lolly but then obviously I'm in the middle of his road and I'm <laughs> thinking if I don't pick I just could see my little childhood sight self stuck in the middle of his road as I was <laughs> with this panic of I'm just not going to drop this lolly but I've dropped everything else if I bend down I'm going to look, drop and, and the cars are coming and what am I going to do obviously I must have made some kind of decision I don't actually remember what it was right? but I'm here it was the lolly <laughs> so it was I'm definitely here. the lolly so I survived this moment but that panic still comes back to haunt me but it was all about that lolly and I don't know what I I seem to remember it was a multicolored one, but that's about as far as that memory got. But I certainly remember that. I'll never forget the fear and panic of dropping that lolly and not wanting oh. to let it go. Dennis, did you well, have a childhood experience when food in your mind and states just there was a moment where you just saw something in a new way or a different way? Well, one thing I, that hit me was we moved from Texas to New Jersey when I was six years old. That's quite a move, right? That's not an easy move. No, that was quite a bit. My, my mother was from Texas and my father was from New Jersey. And my mother was, ha- was Mexican, uh, so I had a Mexican grandmother. And the biggest adjustment for me moving was the fact that, number one, you couldn't buy tortillas in the grocery store. Okay, there was, there was no tortillas to be had. So <laughs> when, when my mother would go home to visit, she would bring a whole suitcase of them back. Uh, and number two, there was no Dr. Pepper. And I was beside myself because there was no Dr. Pepper. Oh, really? You were a big fan of that then, were you? I found that the oddest tasting stuff in the world. That's curious, isn't it? Love it. But I mean, (laughs) but but when up in the north, there was no no Dr. Pepper up north. It had not not migrated that way. And that was like, oh, my God. I was like, what do you mean? What, what? 
backwards <laughs> world do I live in? You know, where you can't get two staples of life. Next, you're going to say, I can't get bean dip. You know, it's like, oh my God. But doesn't it grow in your mind as well? The longer you can't have it, the longer you can't oh, have yeah. a Dr. Pepper, the oh, more yeah. the legend of it grows in your mind, oh, yeah. right? If, oh, you, yeah. if you'd never had that again since, it would have probably become this this thing, right? Which is, just, did you ever hear of Dr. Pepper? It's quite it's a fun. unicorn, yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It becomes a in thing fact, you chase. There was a soda a conference in Atlantic City, had this big convention center. And my mother was a nurse in Atlantic City. And some one of her nurse friends' husband did all these conventions. And they had had a soda convention. He managed to get me a couple bottles of Dr. Pepper. That's like a dealer. That's so cool. I know. I know. I was like, man, I'm, I'm jonesing for a Dr. Pepper. Oh, what is this? A soda convention as well. You can't just drop that in. What on earth is a soda yeah. convention? Well, it, it was a beverage. It was a beverage convention. You know, and they had conventions for everything back in the day. I mean, that was, you know, salesmen would go into stores and sell things. So they had the representation. It was just starting to come up. We had a thing called RC Cola too up north that I don't remember anybody ever really wanting to drink if you had coke you know but it was it was it was available there were some so that's like the knockoff one isn't it I think we had what do we have over here panda cola we had panda cola panda cola everything was panda which is the cheap nasty one that is not oh no we had the cheap we had the cheap nasty ones because they had their own bottler uh, soda bottler in this little town a harbor that was outside of it and we had Frank's oh he literally made it for you know the guy who made your coke around there well, no, I didn't know him personally, but they had they had a local bottler who, and the best thing he had was he had black cherry soda. That oh. was that was good. Now Frank's you could drink, and there were like their cream soda was good, but I mean you, you didn't want a Frank's cola. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, all I can say is you were very lucky you weren't told, brought to England at this point because you wouldn't have found uh, any kind of cola at all. Uh, I'm <laughs> you would have found you, squash, <laughs> squash, uh, or a soda stream. My my friend got a soda stream. That was amazing. And he didn't realize what he had. I would go around his house and I was like, you don't realize this is like having your own like incredible sort of futuristic machine. He's like, oh, you got the soda stream out there. I was like, come on. That was the whole reason I went around his house was to try and just get busy with the fizzy and put stuff yeah. in it. <laughs> and he did just you didn't ever, appreciate it. Did you, ever, did you ever try and do a, um, a um, soda milk? Oh, I, with, probably. With Where you put yeah. milk in. Oh, yes. no. That would, um, would that have worked? It's, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember. They call them something here. Do they? They actually do? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't remember what they me and my friend it. Dave. Oh, no, no. No, no. No, it's, it's actually, it was wow. a drink. A soda, because we had soda fountains all over. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the what is a soda stores? fountain? I never knew what that was. Well, what is a soda fountain? It's not like a drinks fountain with fizzy drinks in, right? Well, yeah, they would make malts milkshakes you know and a malt was like well what's the difference well they put malt powder into it it was it was a whole different thing but you'd, you'd see the soda jerk that's what they actually called him the soda jerk well the guy who pulled and, the pulled them pulled the drinks yeah i guess that's why they called him that but he had this little paper hat on and he would be behind the counter and he would be wiping the counter and they had those little stools that spun oh wow and sit down and they'd make you strawberry sodas or you know all different kinds of sodas and flavorings and then you know then as ice cream got more popular then they were introducing more ice cream things into it and so it was a place yeah. just for that's really interesting so it was a fizzy drink bar sort of for, for kids right pretty much yeah pretty or adults you know adults drank them too. sounds quite you know, exciting then, actually it's not like a sort of yeah. pub without the booze that's actually it, 
it was a place I think for teenagers in the fifties, forty, you know, the late forties, fifties to congregate. It was there. You would see them in all old time movies. Yeah, you know, it all... makes me think of Back to the Future when you said it. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Is so when they go back to Hill Valley, I think there's yeah. one there where they have a fight, and it's yeah, it sounds like a great idea. Oh, yeah, I love it was, that. It was it was interesting, you know. So it was it was a time when you would try. So there are there are different ones, and then the one thing I introduced at the school that they had almost none of them had ever seen was an ice cream float, a root beer float. See, now this is so American. We talked about these ones before in the podcast. I had no idea what they were. And we had some South African listeners getting in touch because there's different different places around the world try different ones out. But they get me the, I'm right. This is a fizzy drink with a lump of ice cream on the top, right? Correct. It sounds ridiculous, but also gorgeous. I mean... Oh, and you want to put the ice cream in first and then put the soda on top of it because then it, it foams and the ice cream starts to melt a little bit and it gets a little creamy. Oh. You don't want to put it in after the fact. You want to put it in first. See, these are good so, tips. I'd have done it exactly the wrong way around. Oh, just made a mess. <laughs> so, so I would scoop ice cream in the soda cups, and I would bring them out, and the girls would all go crazy because they knew where they were having. Now, some of them just wanted to eat the ice cream, but half of them didn't know what to do with it. Well, what do I? So, just pour. Can I put any soda? Says, yeah, you can make a Coke float, a Rupert float, a Seven Up float. You know, I bet the other schools uh, hated you. What were you doing? Uh, I mean, these poor girls coming out like, fizzy drinks and ice cream at school lunches. No, no, oh, no, no. This is amazing. Oh. We had a Sunday bar. I would put all the different toppings and put the ice cream out, and they would make they would make their own Sundays. I'm telling you, when I was having a bad day, if I felt really down on myself, this was an experience where you change someone's life with food. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a child, you know, parents would call and say, "Thank you very much. My my daughter was having a really bad day. She had gotten a B on her test. You know, bad day, and she came in. She was crying, and we gave her a cookie and calmed her down, and everybody was nice to her. Well, when I was having a bad day, I would take a tray of cookies in between classes out in the hall and give them out. This is awesome. And all I would, all I would hear was, "I love you, Dennis. I love you. So thank you, honey. I, I love you too. I love you, Dennis. Oh, you're so the best. True. You know." It's amazing. Yeah, You're I, right. It should be a place of solace at school. It should be the place where you go to escape from everything else and get some good yeah. grub down your neck because that's what's going to yeah. make you feel good for the for the rest of the day. Mm. That's a oh, yeah. lovely way of looking at it. And uh, all yeah, these so, kids jacked up on sugar. I'm sure the teachers love that in the afternoon. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> when, <laughs> when I first got there, I went and I said, no, I can't give them soda. I can't give them anything. Because what? You'll give them whatever they want. And I went, I'm in heaven. I really am in heaven. This is a Catholic school. <laughs> Actually, there was one other food experience I was going to share, which is another drink. This is a drink theme now. Um, I'll take you to another part of the world, Amman. I was there pottering around with Heston. We were messing around. What we were trying, I can't remember what we were trying to get in Amman. I think we were on the trail of gold, frankincense, and myrrh or something like that. I can't remember what we were doing. But we were there. And for some reason, we ended up, Camels is a big deal there, right? They they um they farm them, they eat them. Going through one of the souks, the marketplaces, is quite arresting because there's the little souks in in we're in Fez. They're incredible. These markets, they are exactly what you'd want them to be. They're like something out of Indiana Jones. There's piles of spice. There's tiny little winding corridors with little cobbled streets. And then you walk around the corner, and one of these little market stores there was a head of a camel. I was like, oh my word! Oh my they were selling camel meat in this shop here. But we went to a camel farm in the in the odd way that these things happen when you're on these shoots. You just get introduced to someone who gets introduced to someone. I always have the camera. I'm like, well, let's go. Let's see where we end up so he took us out to the desert and there was a camel farm and it looked i mean probably familiar to your childhood in texas like a ranch i mean it was just dust and fences and loads of sort of quite bedraggled looking camels uh pottering around there but we weren't there to t- eat them or anything like that they wanted to give us camel milk and they got this big silver bowl 
and they filled it up from the camel uh, and it was it was it was it was um it what it didn't look very nice at all it looked sort of it was very bubbly and almost fizzy looking fizzy. i was like oh god like, it was like a foam on it i was like oh my what is this going to be and obviously when you get to that point you have to be polite and you have to try it so i thought okay i'm going to have a sip of this but this is going to be horrible and we drank it and it was one of the most creamy delightful obviously warm amazing experiences and it was like having a, a lovely milkshake and it was one of those moments where you know we talk about the importance of sort of focusing in on it in a moment but there's also some incredible power when you don't expect something to be great you know when you go into something with trepidation or just expecting this to be oh not a great experience and then suddenly it just slaps you in the face and it's that kind of gear change in your head and I wonder if if either of you guys have ever had any of those experiences where you've been somewhere or tried something which was you were expecting one thing and then it came completely from another direction and sort of surprised you in a different way. Dennis, can you think of anything along those lines? Along the food lines, I think, yeah, well, one of the things was when I was in Barcelona, they had me try, and I'm not, I'm not a, I'm an adventurous eater, but there's certain things I don't like. I do not like squid. I do not like octopus, uh, those things. So again, being polite, they sat, we went to one of the markets and they sat down this huge, tentacle of squid <laughs> in front of or of octopus in front of me and i because of course i'm going to be polite i'm going to taste it it was the most delicious piece of anything i'd ever had mm. i don't know how they cooked it they grilled it but i don't know what their technique was but it was in, i finished the whole thing my wife could not believe it. wow it, it, that yeah. is that is because there, there's such a thin margin with that as well isn't it for it to oh, be yeah. awful and rubbery and t- yeah. taste like mm. it looks and yeah. that oh that's fabulous james did you ever have anything like that um well i love octopus for a start so i've had many many octopus <laughs> experiences i mean i, I suppose yeah i'm i'm i suppose i'm like dennis i'm 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 an adventurous eater there's, there's not an awful lot of things that i find you know unpleasant i mean i know we've tried unpleasant things on this show you know together we know that so there are some things that don't taste nice i guess it, it comes when it when your mind starts to get involved so you know i've 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 I mean, I've, the world of insects is is one that you know challenges me um, in many ways. Uh, although I've had insect powders, and actually, I think as an ingredient, I think that's the way these things are going to enter the mainstream. If, if you know, I think we said this before. I mean, my vision is that if if some great chef out there can work out a way to to make French patisserie out of ground crickets, <laughs> then people won't care what they're made of; they'll just enjoy them, right? So, you know, that's the goal. But at the moment, we seem to be in a mixed world where sometimes there's cricket powders and different powders. But when you get sometimes you get insects presented to you as little insects. Um, <laughs> it becomes a mind over matter experience because you know at the end of the day you're just going to eat an ant or something right and and you'll be gone in a second but these there was one experience where i was with the chef uh his name's alex atala he's a wonderful you know brilliant um uh visionary chef in, from uh, brazil a restaurant called dom d-o-m but he very famously wandered into the amazonas to retrieve and and connect with uh the indigenous people of his country in brazil and find ingredients and share food knowledge and whatever all that stuff and he, he came across these ants which people you know the amazonas were using as an ingredient and cooking with and he was cooking with them and they became a bit of a thing for a while rene Rezepi at noma had them on his menu and everyone got very excited about them and i was lucky enough to try some one day and 
the point about them is is that they were just an ingredient for the people of the Amazon. So, you know, Alex would ask them what do they taste like. He would, they would cook with them, and they had a lemongrassy sort of citrus note, and they would cook and, and, and everything. And he famously tells this story where he went back home, cooked with them, learnt about how to use them, and he wanted to go back to the Amazonas later and cook for the people that had given him the ants. And he cooked a dish with lemongrass and lime leaves and all these vibrant herbs that he would use in his kitchen, and he gave them to the, the lady who'd given him the ants, and she ate it and said, it's absolutely delicious, but obviously it tastes just like ants right was her point you know so for her all the, all these other ingredients just taste like ants but i was lucky enough to try it, and they were it was i tell you what blew my mind is the fact that it actually had a flavor beyond anything i was expecting first of all i thought they were going to taste like like when you've accidentally eaten a moth or whatever you know it's got it doesn't have any it's just crunchy and yeah. muddy and whatever but these things were vibrant they were citrus they had a slight hint of of, of lemongrass and lemon and they just were a real kick and we had it on a little piece of pineapple and you know if i didn't know i was eating an ant i would just think oh i'm having a little hit of lemongrass lime and pineapple and it was that was the moment where you suddenly think all this stuff about whatever food is you know we say this a lot on this show but it wouldn't be a food if it wasn't edible in some way you know we just wouldn't eat it people have pretty much eaten everything since we you know humans stood up and, and whatever so you know there must be something about this ingredient that benefits and gives more importantly pleasure to the people that have decided to cook with it and they were absolutely right and you think there's nothing that we should be worried about in a world of food that we shouldn't try with an open mind and all these ingredients can take us somewhere interesting and fascinating if we can get them and there's no point importing ants from brazil for the sake no. of shipping them across the world but if you happen to be in that environment and you're offered one of these things it, you should just try if you can to put aside all those preconceptions and just try it because for these people that are offering it to you it's just a really delicious thing they think it might yeah. be interesting for you to try because you're, you're obviously curious and for me that shifted my little compass a little bit to, to be more open-minded about all of this stuff and because they were delicious i mean i wouldn't i mean i haven't seen them yet in my local tesco <laughs> but but should they appear I, I may well buy them and use them as an ingredient you know there's nothing we should be worried about well, gentlemen, I tell you what, I, th- I mean, in terms of an adventure across different places, we've been from Dr. Pepper and ice cream floats to edible ants to camel milk to uh, Madrid and, you know, uh, goose barnacles. I mean, what a delightful adventure. But unfortunately, we have run out of time this week. But before we go, mm. Chef Dennis, where can people find you? Tell us all the various different places people can plug into your work. Well, I am a blogger, so you can find me at askchefdennis.com. It's the simpling, and then all social media. I'm Ask Chef Dennis, so it's it's pretty simple. And then people can clearly ask Chef Dennis things as well. I'm guessing by those. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I get some interesting questions, and then I have to remind myself that I am Ask Chef Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that would be good for your memoirs. The various different things. Yeah. Uh, well, the Chef... things you couldn't answer on our whole blog. Well, thankfully, there's Google to help me answer that. <laughs> I, I apologize in advance for the things our listeners are going to ask you because they do drink heavily. So. Some of the questions may be uh, quite curious. But, um, Chef, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. It's been a delight spending time with you, and it'd be lovely to get you back on again to share some more experiences soon. But Absolutely. Very best of luck with time. all the work. It's been great. And, James, thank you ever so much, sir. What a joyous adventure. See you again soon. Always a pleasure.